You're listening to episode 15 of the Practice Brave podcast. Welcome to the Practice Brave podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Battles, a strength and conditioning coach and the founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism. The Practice Brave podcast brings you the relatable, trustworthy, and transparent health and fitness information you're looking for when it comes to coaching, being coached, and transitioning through the variables of motherhood and womanhood. If you're a pregnant or postpartum athlete or a coach working with this population, this show is specifically designed for you. All right, let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to the Practice Brave podcast. Today I am here with Dr. Alice Pickering, and she is a doctor of psychology. She has her PsyD and she runs Mom Doc Psychology on Instagram. And so when I first started following her, I was like, oh my gosh, this woman gets it. And she makes these graphics and and writes words that just resonate so much and that are so relatable for so many different moms surrounding pregnancy, postpartum, and our all-encompassing mental health. And so I knew I really wanted to get her on the podcast and I'm excited to bring her voice and wisdom to you today. So Alice, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be on here. And so I'm just excited to answer any questions that you think your audience may want to receive answers to. Awesome. Well, let's get started. So tell us just a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. Everything from your personal life to your professional endeavors, credentials, and what you're doing now. Yeah. So, all right. (laughs) I am a licensed clinical psychologist in the state of Arizona. And since becoming a mom, I have transitioned a lot of my focus and my professional work towards the maternal mental health population. And so prior to that, I was working primarily in forensic settings, and I did have exposure in working with moms who had struggled with postpartum psychosis and really some more of the severe and challenging mental health-related illnesses. And so I went from doing that, and I was working full-time at a state hospital setting to then having my daughter, so my first child. And I went back to work full time for a brief period of time and it just, it just was not working for me. (laughs) And so after that, I stayed home for a period of time and now I've kind of dabbled into several different arenas within the fields of psychology, including offering teletherapy services and doing some testing for research. So I'm kind of doing a lot of different things right now professionally. And so Yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm pregnant with baby number two, and we're expecting baby number two at the end of July. So needless to say, being pregnant during (laughs) coronavirus and a pandemic has presented its own, you know, anxieties and everything. So that's been interesting to navigate. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, I, again, love everything that you share on social media because I think you make mental health and the struggles that so many women experience postpartum feel really normal. So, and I think that's the biggest thing is for anyone who's struggling or maybe doesn't even realize they're struggling to not feel like they're alone and to see something that they go, Oh, I get, that's me. Oh, I get that. Oh, I felt that or am feeling that. And so can you just tell us a little bit about what you see 
in your work or what some of your DMs look like. <laughs> I know that that's always so telling of who our work is resonating with, right? Yes. So gosh, a lot of my DMs that I receive, a lot of times it's just so much gratitude from moms that's expressed in terms of, oh my gosh, thank you so much for sharing your most recent post that just really connected with me. Prior to coming to your account, I've felt so alone in my journey. I thought I was the only mom struggling. Gosh, I thought I was the only one who was dealing with this anxiety. My friends don't talk about it or, you know, people around me don't really talk about it. So these are just themes that I hear often in terms of we're all struggling in our own ways from time to time and in different seasons of life. And somehow it just doesn't get addressed, you know? And it's like, gosh, we've got to get better about talking about this and making it okay and, you know, reducing and taking away this stigma and this judgment that we put on ourselves that, you know, maybe others put on us. I guess that's kind of where that, I'm totally detouring here, but that's kind of where my passion for educating came around. And the more that I receive these types of messages, the more I realize that, wow, moms are really looking for support. They're really looking for answers. They're really looking to make sense of some of the things that they're experiencing or the things that are going on as they transition to their role into becoming a mom or transition to becoming a mom of two or three, you know, or multiples. And so I think just each stage of motherhood is accompanied with so many different transitions and there oftentimes isn't a lot of room for conversation around that, you know, and I also receive messages about, thank you so much for that information. It helped me realize that I'm really not doing well and I am now in therapy and I'm feeling so much better. And I found a therapist or I opened up about my struggles to my primary care provider. So it's, it's been really encouraging and life giving in that way to know that moms are taking this information in and then actively making changes in their lives to feel better and to be better and to be the best mom that they know they have the ability to be. Absolutely. And I had my first son six years ago and I wish that there would have been some kind of account that was educational or just something for me to look at that didn't feel so, I don't know, like so taboo or like just really unrelatable, like postpartum depression and anxiety just did not seem like something that could happen to me or it just had like, it had such a negative connotation around it. And I was like, I don't want there to be another thing wrong with me and this baby and this experience. And so what I love that you've done is like, you've painted a picture where it's like, actually, this is really common. And it doesn't always look like, you know, this image of like a mom crying over her baby. Like, of course, like, it's just the marketing behind, I guess, trying to communicate postpartum depression and anxiety and trauma, all of that is just so it's unrelatable, really. Even if you're somebody who's experiencing, you're like, oh God, that's kind of like that seems really dramatic over the top of what you've done is brought light to like, no, this is a huge spectrum of considerations mm-hmm. and symptoms and experiences and you're not alone. There's nothing wrong with you. This is not weird. And this is extremely totally. common. And so that's what I really appreciate about you because I think that it's really hard and it definitely a few years ago, it was really hard to have accessible information that felt right and relatable. Mm -hmm. And I denied 
over and over and over to my, like I told you before we started talking, like my sister is a psychologist. My stepdad is a psychologist. Like everyone in my, like my best friend is a psychologist. And you know, like I, it's not like I didn't have people that were like, Hey, you're not, (laughs) are you okay? It was just my willingness to, you know, I just kept saying, well, I'm just really tired or my baby Mm -hmm. is just really hard. And I wanted to blame it on something because I felt like I was too strong to have depression or something because that wasn't something I saw coming. So I do know that I'm not alone. And a lot of the people that I have now worked with through the years have like what I call like athlete brain, where it's sort of like this strong and stubborn, sort of invincible, a little bit of an ego, um, Mm -hmm. you know, attitude towards motherhood, towards their training, towards everything where they just really want to be in control. And motherhood tends to be this chapter where it's like, oh shit, actually, like we're not really as in control of anything as we thought we were. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. And that is so true. And I think sometimes we have certain expectations or, you know, you're kind of into a certain rhythm and yeah, having a child just, it's learning to adapt and problem solve and be flexible and learn. And it just exposes so many of our own vulnerabilities you know, that maybe before we've been great about managing or haven't really been confronted with it as in your face. Right. <laughs> when you become a mom, it's like, oh, like you said, oh crap. Like totally. What what is going on here? Yeah. And it's so humbling. And I'm like not good at adapting. And I try to control and hold on and fix and troubleshoot and whatever. And so almost like this, this mentality of surrendering and asking for help and admitting that like something's not as okay as we want it to be or hoped it would be or anticipated it being is such a huge piece of humble pie. Yes, that's awesome to hear. That <laughs> you're just like, okay. Right. It's, I mean, and it's really hard. And so the majority of people that I work with are like, you know, they're used to controlling how they ex- exercise, they're used to controlling what their yeah. body looks like, they're used to controlling what their routine and lifestyle is like. And so then when they become a mom, yeah, we can have these really great expectations. And even if you have the best birth and the best baby and the best experience, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that it's still not a huge life transition. Totally. Totally. One thing I wanted to review with you is, can you just go over some of the descriptions of what postpartum depression is, what that can look like, and maybe the same with anxiety and just let's go through some of those things so that I want, what I want is whoever's listening to be able to go, okay, like I kind of identify with feeling like that just so that we have a better understanding. Yeah, totally. So postpartum depression. So some of the signs and symptoms, and I think one of the bigger symptoms is anger. And I think oftentimes we have this picture of postpartum depression as being incredibly teary and weepy and upset, which it can be that for some individuals, but oftentimes as it presents itself, in the postpartum period, anger tends to kind of be really prevalent. You know, I mean, I think there's just mom anger in general too. But during this time when we're looking, anger kind of seems to be 
one of those red flags, I guess, or a yellow flag, you know, that can maybe turn into a red flag. Absolutely. Um, I remember feeling so much rage, like crazy, rage, even like not just early on, but And still, you know, like where it just like, you know, where I'm just so like worked up and I feel like, you know, Kate, Kate is my strong little spirit of a child. And it's still something that I'm like, I never felt like this until I became a mom where it just like sparks this inner, like anger or frustration that I just can't even control sometimes. And I do, Mm -hmm. I, I remember there, I have so much shame around this memory, but when Cade was less than a week old, I just remember being up in the middle of the night with him alone on the couch and just like yelling. Like I like yelled at my baby to stop crying. And I'm like, who, what am I doing? And, you know, Jared fortunately came out and helped take over, but I was just so frustrated. He wasn't latching. I was so exhausted. My body would just Mm -hmm. had been beat up through a really traumatic delivery. And I just was so mad. I just remember being so mad at my baby for not for just crying continually that breastfeeding was hard that I felt so terrible. Like it was just such a eye opening, like horrible feeling. Yes. And thank you so much for sharing that experience because I think so many, so many moms can relate to that. And the shame that's accompanied with that, because we're so rationally aware that, Oh my gosh, like I know how I am acting right now. (laughs) You know, like I know this is a baby. I know that they're learning. I know you right like in rationally we understand these things, but the feelings and that anger it's still there and oftentimes that can be an indicator of maybe something deeper going on aside that's just beyond kind of that normal transition so to speak into motherhood. But if we're looking at some other symptoms And this is where I think it's important for moms to be evaluated or seen by, you know, a maternal mental health provider, whether that's a psychiatrist or a therapist or a psychologist, just because there is such a broad spectrum of the way that symptoms can present during this time. So, you know, I mean, you can have mood swings, a loss of interest in former activities that previously were enjoyable you know, you just don't have the energy or even just the thought alone doesn't sound enjoyable anymore. Feelings of extreme sadness. Uh, Sometimes there are crying spells. Sometimes there is a lack of concern for the baby or on the opposite end, an excessive concern for the baby. Other times difficulty feeling connected to the baby uh, low energy, a lot, a lot of feelings of guilt and shame, sometimes hopelessness, you know, restlessness. Gosh, I'm just like, right. So many different things, things I can think of. Sleep is affected obviously because of having a newborn, but even when you're given the opportunity to sleep, maybe sleep is hard to obtain. Or again, on the other end of that, it's too much sleep that then inhibits you from being able to get up to respond to your baby, you know? Totally. It, it's so. such a wide range. And it wasn't until I was well over a year postpartum that I could look back and go, wow, I was not as healthy as I thought that I was. Or as I like, I yes. tried to justify so many things that in hindsight were like so eye opening from just feeling angry 
to just crying to recovering from a traumatic birth and trying to like, I I like wanted to write a better story and I couldn't. And I just kept trying to rewrite it. And, you know, like, well, if I felt terrible after having birth and that didn't go as planned, well, then I sure as hell, I'm going to try my hardest to breastfeed and I'm going to force myself to do that. I'm going to pump and I'm going to be like neurotic about that. (laughs) And then it was like when my husband went back to work, I just remember feeling so hopeless. Like he left and I cried and I cried and I cried. And I've always tried to think of myself as being like, I'm a strong, independent woman. But But when it came to motherhood and still, honestly, I feel really insecure and really sometimes unable to do this alone, do it by myself. Like I felt like I couldn't do this without having some form of support. And that's still a really common theme in my life, but um, <laughs> like I especially have these memories of his first day going back to work, and I just was there with a baby going, now what? And crying and just feeling so intimidated and overwhelmed. And I think these are just, I bring this up with you, obviously, because yeah. these are feelings and experiences that I know so many people have, but totally. we are in a culture of social media where we're just showing like, you know, pretty pictures of baby's first month and second month yes. and this and that. And so it's hard to see the ugly moments. And so I'm, exactly. I'm all for sharing the ugly. <laughs> oh yes, I hear you. And I think oftentimes, you know, we've been so primed with this picture of how motherhood is going to look or how it's supposed to look that when we don't have that picture, you know, in our life, isn't that idea, it just, I think, throws us in for a loop, but that's just not reality to begin with, you know? Right. Right. And so I know it seems (laughs) in some ways that suddenly within the last five years, maybe that everyone having anxiety has become, has been brought to light or like, it's not weird to be anxious. Now there's like jokes around it or, um, I don't know. I don't even know how to say this without sounding super insensitive. So I apologize (laughs) if I have, but you know, I think I'm a very anxious person by nature. I look back um, even Mm -hmm. just how I grew up and I realize you know, that there's some tendencies there, but can you tell us a little bit about postpartum anxiety and what that looks like? Yes. So postpartum anxiety really focuses when we're looking at it during the postpartum period, it's very much focused on worries, you know, and it depends if we're looking at more of the generalized anxiety or OCD, it can, and Mm -hmm. it can kind of present itself in, in those two forms, but we're really looking at this excessive worry that somebody finds difficult to control. Um, And oftentimes it's focused around the baby or mom's role as a caretaker and as a mother, you know, and then when we're looking into the OCD realm, like intrusive thoughts and sometimes with, you know, cleanliness and, and sterilizing and keeping bottles clean and changing baby outfits and and that type of stuff. So it can present itself in different ways, but really we're looking at a lot of this excessive worrying that's going on and kind of, you know, these constant feelings that just something bad is going to happen. Like I just know something's going to happen to me or my baby or my husband or, you know, some family member. 
So those are kind of the key features. But I I look at anxiety and I, I see it present itself for individuals in different ways, some ways cognitively, some ways physically or physiologically, other ways emotionally, and then other times behaviorally, like avoiding certain situations. Even that, you know, postpartum anxiety can present itself in, in various ways as well. Absolutely. And it seems with a lot of the people that my peers and as coaches and athletes, a lot of us at some point or currently <laughs> try mm-hmm. to out exercise some of our anxiety or depression. I have so many people that are like, Brie, I'm, you know, four weeks postpartum and wow. exercise is my only outlet. And I need to do that for stress relief and it helps me not feel as depressed. And mm-hmm. I absolutely understand the need to have exercise complement your life. Yes, definitely. With your mental health, but I feel as if there's a significant issue in the athlete community where that's the only strategy. And then when that's taken away, whether it's through pregnancy, like if they have to be on bed rest or something, or, you know, now with the coronavirus, a lot of exercise outlets have been removed, like gyms and community. And then honestly, with just recovering postpartum, if somebody has an injury or an illness or surgery, and now our one strategy for managing our anxiety or depression has been limited or removed completely, they're then left going, oh my God, now what? And I've been there. I have been there, unfortunately, multiple times of that spiral of like, my thing has been taken and it really forced me up against the wall to figure out who am I outside of using exercise as this assistance to managing my own thoughts. (laughs) Right, right. And and looking at when does exercise become more than, you know, an outlet for stress or, you know, an outlet for healthy habits, you know? Right, right. Because it's super easy, I think, for a lot of our culture with a fit mom and trying to get your body back and all of that kind of messaging is super triggering into becoming very obsessive about how we train and how we eat. And then that's such a slippery slope. Yes. Yes. I totally agree. So it's really tough. So what kind of, do you have any, I guess, strategies or tips that, you know, if somebody's listening to this going, oh yeah, I see that in myself. Like, what would you want that person to know? Gosh, I mean, first (laughs) and foremost, I would want them to know that they're not alone. There are so many of us who struggle with the transition to becoming moms, who experience a lot of these different emotions and feelings. And, you know, we struggle to make sense of them and what they are. And so really, gosh, my biggest message is that you're not alone. And my next message is, is if something feels off or something does not feel right, that it's okay to get help. It's okay to ask for help and to admit that, hey, I'm having a hard time and this is not what I had envisioned or what I had planned, you know, or I'm feeling this, obviously doing it in a safe space and in a way that the individual feels comfortable, but that it's okay to acknowledge that you're struggling. It's not a sign of weakness. Actually, I think quite the opposite. It takes a lot of strength and vulnerability to admit 
that there is something wrong, you know? Um, I felt like there was, I just, I made every excuse possible to not get help. It was like, I don't have time. How am I supposed to do that when I have this baby and I'm alone so often and I I can't really afford it. Therapy was super expensive for my -hmm. family back then. And so between the convenience, inconvenience factor and the financial factor, it just seemed like I cannot possibly add another thing to do. And I see that barrier, you know, oftentimes with women seeking out support for pelvic floor physical therapy, but also mental health therapy. And so what would you tell somebody who feels like those are very real obstacles for them getting help? Yes. The way I look at it is every mom deserves at least one hour a week to herself and dedicating that time and space to just her, to being heard, to being supported, to being encouraged in that one hour a week is going to alleviate so many other hours in your week for you to be productive, for you to be engaged, for you to be present, for you to be in the moment with your children, right? And that translates to then so many other areas in your life as well. And so Yes, I think that initial step is very hard to take because like you said, the, you know, excuses or the justifications, they come up, but in the end, you are going to be saving so much more time by following through and and getting the help that you, you might need, whether, whether that's therapy or even whether that's making an appointment to see a psychiatrist or your provider and getting a prescription, you know, so it really is going to look different for, for everybody. But I think just taking that initial step is going to save you time in the long run. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about having medication for depression or anxiety or both. What does that process typically look like for somebody? Yeah. So I am not, uh, like, I don't prescribe medication. I'm not a psychiatrist, but I know part of that process is going to your provider and being open about the symptoms or, you know, even if you don't know what your symptoms are, sharing the areas in which you're struggling in so that they can then maybe suggest a medication. And then other times it could be work in therapy too or with your provider, maybe you have a patient who is uncomfortable with the idea of taking meds because, Hey, I've never needed a medication before. Like, why do I, why would I suddenly need one now? You know? Right. And so there is a lot of cognitive restructuring and I think stigma as well around medications. And I think it works great for some. And I think for others, yeah, maybe it's not the right option, you know? So it really depends on the individual, but yeah, in therapy, sometimes there's a lot of work around, okay, well, what, you know, what are the beliefs around taking a medication and breaking those down to then maybe somebody feeling more comfortable going that route if they weren't, but really the prescription part is going to come from a primary care provider or from a psychiatrist. And oftentimes too, psychologists and psychiatrists can work together to kind of provide more of a well-rounded picture and support for the, for the mom or for the individual who's seeking help and, and work together in that way. 
Right. I think it's just so hard to, it's in some ways it feels like it's admitting defeat and I'm not going to sit and pretend like I know exactly what that path is like, because I don't, I, I have not taken medication, but I do know that there is so many people that feel a lot of resistance toward taking medication to get help. But then in my experience as a coach and friend, once they do, it's such a huge weight that is relieved because they're like, oh my gosh, I, I get it now and I feel a lot better. And now that doesn't obviously always happen right away. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of, you know, maybe like trial and error, but I know that, that there is a lot of hope on the other side of getting therapy and of taking medication and it doesn't have to be permanent, right? Yeah, definitely. And yeah, oftentimes I find that it isn't permanent. And again, I do think too, this just depends also on the individual. And so I know some individuals who have struggled with incredibly severe depression and medication is absolutely a lifesaver for them. And then I also know individuals who maybe their symptoms are more moderate in nature and they kind of get that head start by feeling better with the medications, they can then kind of get things back to feeling, you know, how they were previously, or they can get some type of routine and they then have the energy to make other adjustments in different areas, whether that's exercise or nutrition or, you know, so I, I really do think that that depends on the individual what are like some resources and support that you encourage all moms to seek out? If maybe they can't get to a psychologist right away, is there a good, like, what is the first point of contact that we could make? Yes. So I think, gosh, they're like a support and having a support system and really working on building unity around you that you can feel safe in and comfortable in, whether that's at your church or a group of other moms who are in a similar situation or have babies within a similar time frame, you know, and there are so many online support groups too. And I feel like online support groups and they're free. So many of them are free. Postpartum.net has so, so many free online support groups for mom in different, for moms in different areas, whether that's NICU moms or, military moms or moms who've had a traumatic birth or moms who have lost a child and are grieving the loss of their child, you know, to moms who are struggling with postpartum depression and moms who are struggling with anxiety. So they have so many free groups, online support groups. And I think that's a great place to start. It doesn't require you to leave your house at all, you know? (laughs) And so, and it's really a great way to become and to get connected. And so I I encourage any mom that if, you know, they're kind of looking towards maybe therapy, but aren't totally set on it, start with an online support group and see how you feel from there. Right. Absolutely. I know for me, it was just like, I feel like the tables turned a lot when I was able to get to the point where I gave myself more freedom. And that also happened to coincide when I stopped breastfeeding around a year where Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, like now I'm not totally tied to him. And I didn't have that guilt of like being around him every three hours or whatever it was back then. And it was making sure I did exercise, but exercise in a way that was respectful of what I actually needed versus pushing 
Yeah. He was trying to like get more skinny or stronger or whatever. Like it was, you know, exercising because it felt good. And also just really telling my husband and the people that I did have supporting me with both my first and my second son saying, this is what I need. And I can't, I cannot do this alone or I can't do this aspect or um, just really kind of creating my own boundaries. But it took going through the fire to figure out like what that actually was, where it was like, Hey, I'm not emptying the dishwasher because I just cannot, I cannot have one more thing, you know? And so like then having that conversation with my husband where it's like, okay, that's like, he's going to do it. He's not going to bitch at me for, you know, like dishes, which he like, he definitely knows not to, but you know, like where him and I have a really good shared system. And yes, it's a luxury to be in a marriage where we have that kind of clear communication. I know that is not the case for everybody, but Mm -hmm. if you do have a partner that you can have really clear conversations about, Hey, no, like I'm not going to be waking up every single hour. You're going to turn or you'll change the diaper or I'll nurse. And then you put the baby to bed and just figuring out a better system. And I did like, and I say all of this because I had to protect my second pregnancy and postpartum experience because of the hell I felt like I went through with my first. I wasn't even sure I was going to have a second baby because I was so scared from the first experience I had from birth to my body to my brain. And so going into my second pregnancy, I I was working with a therapist and I had a lot of new strategies to implement, even though a lot of things were still out of my control. Mm-hmm. It really made a big difference to be able to say, okay, if we need to introduce formula, like we're just going to do that because it is not worth suffering for a really totally. long time, forcing myself yes. to be up all hours with a baby that maybe is still hungry or whatever. And I just didn't see that through that lens my, with my first pregnancy. And so giving myself yes. that permission to adjust and that there was no right or best way to mother. Like I really originally yes. thought like, oh, I'm, this is what I'm going to be like. But I just, Cade was not that baby. He was not a baby that like could, right. that fit the picture that I had originally imagined of motherhood. And so when I had totally. a chance, it was saying, you know, what? I don't know what this baby's going to be like. And I kind of know who I am as a mom now, but that's also going to look different. And I realized that. Yes. And just saying, giving myself permission to know, Jared, if you need to give chance formula in the middle of the night so that I can sleep and maybe not be a totally miserable human in the morning, like, let's do that. And like, let's just (laughs) plan on implementing that when, and if we need to. And so having that as a solid backup plan without all of the guilt Mm -hmm. made a significant difference in being able to just go with the flow because I'm not really a go with the flow person. I'm like a control all the things person. And so um, I guess just going in with a really flexible game plan made a really big adjustment. And then knowing, okay, and at four weeks postpartum, I'm going to go see a pelvic floor physical therapist. And Mm -hmm. at two weeks postpartum, I'm going to check in with a mental health therapist and just be able to have like a, hey, how are you doing? Okay. You seem to be good. Okay. Also you need to write about your experience. So write about how you're feeling right now. And so I went into like a crazy creative mode where I actually wrote like two, two eBooks when I was in my first couple of weeks postpartum, because I just felt like I needed to write and I could, he was a way different child. And so it was in these different 
voids and outlets that helped complement, okay, I can't work out right now. I'm definitely still healing from a baby. I still want to bond with him. I want to have a different experience than I did because my first pregnancy or experience was just so stressed out. Everything was so stressed. And so I wanted in whatever ways I could control to have as least stressful in a way that like I wasn't I wasn't adding to my own stress. Like that's what I wanted. I didn't want to be the person who was adding to it like I did before. And so those strategies made a big difference for me. Yes. And I'm hearing just, it sounds like you implemented so many great strategies from communicating to asking for help, to being flexible, to setting boundaries and following through on you know, those boundaries that were put in place. And it just sounds like overall taking a lot of those steps just helped to make the whole experience so much better. And I think that that could be the case for so many moms. And sometimes we limit our own selves, you know, or or put these pressures and expectations on ourselves. I, I did that same thing where I'm like, gosh, you know, like I, I have to breastfeed. I can't, not breastfeed, <laughs> you know, right. where I was like so tunnel visioned in on certain things. And it was hard for me to accept anything else, you know, or to be open to accepting anything else. But I think kind of as time went on, I was like, okay, I'm literally just making myself miserable when I don't have to be, you know? Right. That's so, so hard to see. It is so hard to recognize, even if like logically we're like, yeah, fed is best. And like it's formula is fine. But then when it's actually you, there's this weird dogmatic thing that just comes over you where it's like, no, I have to breastfeed. It's what's best. Like I'm a bad mom if I don't. And then like that for me was very triggering of like so many things I didn't even know existed within me where I'm like, why did I, why I didn't know that was such a big deal to me until it was a huge deal to me. And then knowing that, and then the second time, just having that permission to just do what you need to do and do what's Mm going to be healthy for you and for your baby. And, you know, if it's not working for one of you, that means it's not really working for both of you. And so like, how can we find this happy, like more of a happy medium where one is not sacrificing so much? Like, yes, motherhood is already a huge sacrifice. So how can we figure out a way that, it's more manageable and sustainable and realistic for our mental health and our physical health. Totally, totally. And and I just, I love all the things that you've pointed out and everything that you shared. And I would, I mean, I am like behind that a hundred percent. Thank you. Yeah. And, and, and this is guys, not to say that like everything went perfectly the second time I was So adamant about, you know, like I really need support everyone. Like I really, really, really need to support. And then like right before my, right before a chance was born, my mom was like, so we're moving out of state. And my sister was like, so we're, we're, I'm not actually coming back to California. I'm staying in South Dakota. And I was like, wait, what? Like my, I have a very small family and the family Uh that I thought was going to be around for chance and that postpartum transition that was totally then a strategy, I guess, that what had been, that was no longer realistic. Um, yeah. That, and like, and so you can do your best to control so many factors around you, but there's still things and people and stuff that's just, it's not going to go your way. And the mm-hmm. only way 
to get out is to just keep going through your own steps and saying, okay, if this is my plan A went to shit, like what's plan B, C, and D? Because we got to start integrating aspects of those plans. And it's a really humbling and hard experience. And like I said, even if things go really, really well for you through pregnancy and postpartum, there's still going to be variables that come up that are challenging. And it's being able to get the support that you need and know that you're not alone and start to, and just at least be aware of mental health struggles with postpartum depression and anxiety and knowing it's not just the first six weeks, right? Like that can come up at any point, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And when we're looking at postpartum depression or anxiety, or, you know, when we're kind of talking about this postpartum period, we're looking at that whole first year after childbirth. So symptoms can present themselves six months down the road or even eight months down the road, sometimes two weeks, sometimes immediately, right? So it kind of, again, just depends on the person, but uh, we are looking at that first year. Yeah, absolutely. I know it does. You know, for me, it's like, yeah, that was my, I feel like my first postpartum experience was definitely my first recognition of postpartum depression. And then maybe it, it was managed, but it's also brought so much more awareness to me about my own personality and my tendencies mm-hmm. and times where I do feel really low or really triggered where it's not this like constant, but it is, I do recognize when I'm having some really low times or you know, like things it. that get brought up and triggered again. And just, I think healing and managing your mental health is not something that's just this linear process. Like it, it's kind of messy. <laughs> yeah, It's so messy. Yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely so messy. And I think, you know, you were talking about planning earlier. I think so often moms are so focused on the pregnancy and, you know, making a birth plan. And, and I think all these are great and amazing. And yes, we should make birth plans and, you know, yes, we should prepare and welcome our our baby as best as we can. But I I think the area then that is often neglected is that postpartum planning, where, you know, I think sometimes it's this idea that, oh, I'm I'm gonna bring my baby home. And, and it's like, dot, 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 then what? you know, like baby's home, dot, dot, dot. Right. (laughs) Or it's like, you feel really supported your first few weeks home or like the first month, maybe. And then all of it sort of starts to disappear. Maybe the meals stop if you had those in the first place and like visitors were there and then now they're not. And you're in this, I feel like that between, I don't know. I feel like for me, it was somewhere between like six weeks postpartum and four months, I was like, holy hell, I am in the middle of this. And I feel like all this support that I thought I had or people reaching out and checking in is now just not as much. And so it can feel really long. Yeah. And one thing that I decided to do instead of being like, why does no one care? Like, or feeling <laughs> like that, is I would just reach out and just say like, I'm just going to take that initiative and let go of any kind of, well, I shouldn't have to, you know, reach out to people. And I would just right. text the friend or, you know, whoever, and just say like, Hey, how's it going? And check in with them yeah. and then be able to have a conversation. And maybe that feels crappy, but it also gives you the connection that mm-hmm. you're looking for. And just being honest and you can bring it up. You don't have to wait for somebody to say, well, how are you doing? And you just say, Hey, I just want to check in. 
we're doing okay. This part has been really hard, but we're, you know, we're adjusting blah, blah, blah. Or did that happen to you at all? And just initiate a conversation. And I I know that you don't want to, like, (laughs) I know that, especially because I'm, I'm pretty extroverted. And so I know my introverted friends are like, um, hell no, but I do (laughs) (laughs) like it can make a bit of a difference if you're feeling that resentment. Yes. Definitely. I agree. And I think I can relate to that, that I felt like I needed to do everything and to do it all, which is so not my expectation (laughs) at all with the second pregnancy. You know, I'm like, dang it. If I am not asking for help from every single person around me, (laughs) (laughs) what am I doing? (laughs) You know, totally. but yeah, I can, I can definitely relate to kind of that struggle in asking for help and let alone accepting help and receiving help and, you know, initiating that conversation. Because really at the end of the day, like people cannot read our minds. People cannot know what we're thinking or what we're experiencing. And it it is up to us to kind of take charge of our mental health and take charge of communicating what our needs are and how we can ask people to meet those needs, you know, or or request for certain individuals to meet those needs and and that it's okay. Absolutely. And I, I was so stubborn as far as getting help or admitting that something was wrong with me. And so if you're listening to this podcast and any of it resonates from a little bit to a lot of it, I just want to give you a little bit of perspective. I would do anything to get my first year of motherhood back. I would do anything and to see it differently and experience it differently. And I have so much, I just have so much regret over trying to like push and hold on to something that I could have had more help with. And maybe it could have been less hard. And I, so I I sit here years later (laughs) and Mm -hmm. go like, you know, I just, I wish I would have had a voice of reason that I wish I would have seen something that felt more relatable. I wish I could have had the the education and scope that I do now. But now that I know better, I want to pass it on to you guys and just like honestly guys just scroll through Alice's page on Instagram and just like just let it sink in. Just read through some of the stuff that she's written, some of the graphics that she's made because it can give you some aha moments to know that maybe what you're experiencing is normal and that it's okay. There's nothing wrong with you, but there is help and support. And if you don't want to get it, just, I can't encourage you enough to go and pursue talking to somebody, taking the medication if you need to, and, and getting help with implementing habits that might help you better understand your brain and your lifestyle right now, because right now is not forever but you can do something to take back aspects that are real that you're suffering with right now. And I would do a lot to be able to go back and experience my first year as a mom from a different light, I suppose. Yes. I love that. I love, love, love that Brianna. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you so much for being here. Let's wrap up this conversation and where can people find like just more about you and what you're doing? Yeah. So Instagram is a great place. If you know, anyone on here listening is big in the Instagram world, or they just are into social media, 
my username or handle, I guess, whatever you <laughs> would call that is mom doc psychology. And my website is another place. So www.momdocpsychology.com. And I, and I have some free handouts. I have a free postpartum depression guide and a free postpartum anxiety guide. So if you're just wanting a place to get started on learning about various maternal mental health struggles, those guides would be a great place to start. Like I said, they're free. And on Instagram, I share a ton of different educational information, sometimes mixed in with some of my personal experiences or experiences from friends and moms and others. So yeah, I think those two places would be the best place to find me. Oh, thank you. And yes, like you guys, this stuff was not accessible six years ago. It just really wasn't like there, I could not have found anything like this back then. And we're so lucky in a way that we do have so much at our fingertips through social media and, you know, you can vet somebody through it. And I can't, I can't speak more highly of Alice and what she's doing there. Download her information, check out her Instagram. That is a resource that is free and just, it helps clarify so much of the gray area that a lot of us experience when we are just in the trenches of motherhood and figuring out what our new normal looks like. And if what we're feeling and experiencing is normal or, or whatever that even means, like whatever normal is. Right. Now, so, <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being here and taking the time. And guys, let me know if you enjoyed this episode. I appreciate you listening. Have a good one. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Make sure you head over to my website, www.briannabattles.com and find my free and paid resources and make sure to connect with me on Instagram at brianna.battles. Talk to you soon.